Welcome to another edition of Respond to Resilience. I'm David Dashinger. We're going to be speaking with Nick Paprosky, who's uh, got an amazing topic. It's so important, and it's paramedics don't sleep, they wait. Nick will be with us in one minute. We invite you to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Respond to Resilience. We're also on Facebook, Responder Wellness Inc., upsradio.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our website is respondertv.com. In this family, more of us die by our own hands than by the hazards of the job. In this family, up to a quarter of 911 dispatchers have symptoms of PTSD. In this family, our mental health and wellness are in crisis while responders are quietly suffering. In this family, many struggle with job-related stress, burnout, trauma, sleep disruption, substance abuse, and marriage problems. In this family, we can help the helpers with vital information and resources, resilient strategies, and success stories of overcoming the obstacles. In this family, no one is alone. Welcome to Respond to Resilience with co-hosts, retired Lieutenant David Dashinger, Dr. Stacy Raymond, and Bonnie Wimley, LCSW EMTB. This is going to be a show all about sleep, and we're going to bring on Nick. Um, Nick is a paramedic and has been for many years, an award-winning field provider, educator. He's got over 18 years of experience working in municipal, fire-based, commercial, and volunteer EMS systems. And Nick served as a career fire medic at the Ridgefield Fire Department from 2010 to 2020. And he currently serves as the Director of Education, Safety, and Wellness for Vintech Management Services, which is a 300-employee EMS staffing company based in Connecticut. And I know from uh, having many conversations that Nick's a staunch advocate for provider mental health and wellness. And he routinely presents on topics like PTSD with the Fairfield County Trauma Response Team, and he's also been uh, appearing on podcasts and interviews. So, Nick, welcome. Thanks for having me, Dave. Let's dive in. So, sleep. Why Why do you want to call this paramedics don't sleep, they wait? So, it's a little bit of a, it's, it's actually a Chuck Norris joke. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if anyone's familiar with those, I was like, you know, Chuck Norris doesn't sleep, he waits. Um, it, it kind of addresses the what I feel like the prevalent culture is amongst EMS providers in regards to sleep is, you know, you, you hear all these phrases, oh, I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And, you know, I've, hey, how was your shift last night? Did you get any sleep? Ha, ha, ha. That's funny. You know, it, it, we just have this culture of it. it it's almost like a, a little a little bit of a joke, you know. So I, I, I kind of morphed that into a Chuck Norris joke to kind of bring some attention to that, that as much as that's been the culture, at least throughout my career, um, it shouldn't be. And, and a couple things opened my, my eyes to that. So, yeah, can you share with us a little bit about what led you to start to investigate sleep and wellness and the, the effects or the detriments of uh, insufficient sleep? So um, my own interest or my own pathway into the holy trinity of health and wellness, you know, sleep, diet, and exercise for me started with exercise. Um, and I think, you know, as, as, a, as a young man and, you know, idolizing athletes and that kind of thing, I think it, it's easy to get into wellness through the fitness path, you know, because it, there's a lot of reasons and it, it's, uh, 
you know, it's in our face and, you know, started with, uh, powerlifting and, you know, got into distance running and, you know, kind of, kind of experimented with all the different aspects of fitness, um, you know, over the years. And, um, obviously at a certain point, um, if you're serious about, you know, physical fitness training, you get into diet and you realize how much that affects your, your lifts and, you know, your physique. And I feel like the last thing that people usually find an interest in, or, or they never do, they never realize the importance of it is, is sleep. And it's kind of unfortunate because when I look at my own experiences with, with sleep, um, if you could prioritize those things, um, the, the, the thing that, that, you know, kind of brought it all home for me is if you had to prioritize sleep at knowing what I know now, I would prioritize sleep over early morning exercise. So for a long time, I was a morning exerciser, you know, and, and again, there's this whole culture about, you know, there, there's people telling you, oh, you got to get up at 4am, you know, the real hardcore people get up early. So I'd be up real early, you know, especially if I was commuting to work, be out running at 5am and getting up at 345 to do that. And you get some benefit of it. You know, running is good for you. It helps you know, uh, relieve stress, but it shouldn't be at, you shouldn't be gaining the benefits of exercise at and sacrificing sleep. It's mm-hmm. fine to get up at 4 a.m. if you go to bed at 8 p.m. So I, I came to this huge realization at a certain point that, you know, just like you can't out, out train a bad diet, you can't, you know, out train or out eat a lack of sleep. So that was kind of the, the realization for me. There's, you know, we can talk about the specifics of it, but um, that was kind of my own evolution of, of how I got into, you know, w- or when sleep became an interest of mine. Yeah, that's a great revelation is that sleep trumps everything, right? You can probably go without eating and still function pretty well and maybe miss a day of working out, but uh, sleep just, it's the king of all uh wellness aspects i guess right yeah and and, you know that's like you said you you can experience the acute effects of a lack of sleep way faster than you know missing even a week at the gym you know so um it's way more it has a way more immediate effect on your mood um and then there's also the long-term effects of it so let's um, let's look at it from the perspective of EMS providers, and why is sleep such a challenge for those who are EMS uh, paramedics, EMTs, anybody in that profession? Yeah, really, really anybody working, you know, shift work or a varied schedule, um, you just have the immediate logistical challenge. Even if you do have a job where you're allowed to sleep, and you know, you may some you may have sleep quarters, or you may just be permitted to take naps on your night shift, or you're at a service that's not that that busy. You know, if you look at you know, the course of, of human evolution, for the most part uh, of, of human history, people went to sleep when it was dark and woke up when it was light and, you know, would sleep most nights. You didn't have lights. You didn't, no one thought about working the night shift, you know, maybe with some exceptions under a full moon or something like that. Um, you know, for the most part, you know, humans, it appears evolved to sleep during the day or sleep at sleep at night and be awake during the day. So if you have it just right off the bat, if you're working two or three nights a week, it, that just logistically disrupts your sleep. So you're missing those nights. Mm-hmm. You know, we could talk about what the, realistically can you catch up on sleep or, or some of the, the problems caused by that. But, you know, you're basically scheduling yourself into a sleep deficit. You know, it's a little different than accidentally missing a night of sleep or, or you know, one night a week staying out a little later than you wanted. Um you know, you're basically signing up for the night shift. You're you're planning to be sleep deprived, or or at least planning to have a really disrupted sleep pattern. 
Right. And even if there aren't a lot of calls, um, it could be you don't get into as deep or high quality sleep during yeah. a shift. Yeah. And there's some science behind that. Um, th- there's... Um, there's studies where they looked at um, your the quality of your sleep at a place you were familiar with versus a place that was new. And it, and it appears there's some type of protective biological mechanism where um, we hear, you know, to give credit to the Metallica songs, you know, sleep with one eye open. You, you actually do if you're in a, in a place that you're not used to. Um, or you're not fully comfortable. Um, so, you know, we do, even if you do ha- have the ability to sleep and you have like a bedroom at your station, you, you probably on average compared to the type of sleep or the quality of sleep you get at home, it'll most likely be reduced right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. What misconceptions do EMS workers have about sleep? I know, you know, probably think, all right, I can catch up the next day or I'll take a nap. Does any of that um, actually help us? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, if you, if you look at, you know, the, the latest and the greatest sleep science and, you know, kind of the, the key players that are out there in the, in the podcast space, kind of arguing, um, about this idea of, you know, can you catch up on sleep? Um, you know, people that argue that you can't, you know, look at kind of the long-term effects of someone who's chronically sleep deprived, who, who over a long period of time, you know, even if you, in you know in net get the same amount of sleep just if you have this really messed up sleep pattern basically they're saying if two people get the same total amount of sleep over a period of time but one person you know sleeps this very erratic broken schedule you know the the person with the broken schedule even though they're getting the same total you know amount of time asleep is, is going to have an increased risk factor for all kinds of things from cancer depression um early death you know a, a lot of horrible risk factors so you know that's what i think spurs the claim that that you can't really keep up on sleep now you're or you can't really catch up on sleep now your body does have a mechanism by which it tries to account for reduced REM sleep so let's say you have a night shift where you get really broken sleep. You got a couple calls in the middle of the night, you fall asleep for an hour and you wake up pretty quickly. Um, and then you fall asleep for another hour. You know, maybe over the course of the night, you're asleep for four hours. You know, the problem is, you know, we know now that th- from you know, some really detailed sleep studies that, you know, all sleep is not created equal and you need to hit these different phases of sleep. And the best way to hit that is to sleep a bunch of hours in a row. You know, so, so, over the course of a night, getting four or five hours, if it's really broken, um, your body may not get into as much REM sleep in total during during those sleep cycles. So what ends up happening, and um, you know, I share this because I have some really really profound personal experience with this. If if you miss a full night of sleep, or you have two or three nights in a row where you're getting two or three hours because you work two or three night shifts in a row. That third night, you'll be exhausted, right? You're, you, you have tremendous sleep pressure um, because if you, you know, you look at the, the graph of the hormones that are responsible for, for sleep pressure, at a certain point, caffeine won't affect that and... Um, Probably makes it worse. This is when people are like, oh my God, I'm going to get the best sleep tonight because I know I'm completely exhausted. And if you're someone that's even struggles with insomnia, difficulty falling asleep, you finally get, you get this cycle where you have three nights of insomnia and then the fourth night you're just going to pass out. So what happens is again, if you, if you study brainwaves, when, when someone falls asleep after, you know, a couple nights of, of reduced sleep, they have a tendency to to what's called REM rebound, where you very quickly go into a, a, a deep REM REM sleep, mm-hmm. and um, this is why I personally experienced this phenomenon where I'd have a night of disrupted sleep, and um, 
you know, because your circadian rhythm gets messed up after years. I mean, I worked nights for 15 years, um, you know, some capacity. So you don't have that normal rhythm that most people get into where you experience sleep pressure at the same time every day Mm -hmm. and you experience wakefulness at the same time every day. It's very frustrating. Um, So, you know, I would, I started dealing with, with nightmares and, and a lot of nightmares related to EMS calls. You know, they had some type of EMS, you know, theme. Um, but I, I happened to notice that the worst nightmares were when I would have one of those nights where it was like the third or fourth night in a row of, of not getting a lot of sleep. And come to find out when you really look into it, I was experiencing a REM rebound during REM sleep is when we dream, you know, we have the most vivid dreams and, you know, this might account for why, you know, paramedics end up experiencing nightmares is is a lot of it's the broken sleep cycle. Yeah, I can tell you from personal experience, having been ordered onto a 72 hour nonstop shift that uh, the third 24 hour shift is when I basically had an accident. Uh, Fortunately, it was minor, but, you know, I wound up clipping a mirror of a vehicle, pulling an ambulance out. And, Normally, that would never happen, but that third day with two nights of broken sleep and sleeping in the bunk room with a bunch of other guys, uh, the third day was like not a good day for me to be at my best. So, yeah, um, and, the, and, and all the statistics I mean, I, I'm in risk management, you know, and, and we go through for training all the time on, you know, risk prevention or, or risk reduction strategies, and a common thread across industries. It's not just EMS and fire um, related to industrial accidents, vehicle accidents. There's a, you know, lack of sleep component. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a stat that the the sleep science people love to throw around all the time is the incidence of motor vehicle accidents um, after a time change. You know, when, when the clocks change, uh, people losing that one hour of sleep and there's, you know, 20 fold increase of car accidents that week. I, I forget the number off the top of my head, but it's pretty statistically significant. That's so just one hour. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Well, um, let's pick up on this conversation. We're just going to do a quick break and we'll be right back. Our mission at Responder Wellness Inc. is to subsidize or provide free of charge safety equipment and wellness services to first responders, including police officers, firefighters, EMS personnel, and 911 operators throughout Connecticut. Resources include scholarships to train new EMTs, a responder and veteran-only AA group in Danbury, Connecticut, as well as police vests, a fire and EMS boot program, yoga classes, gym memberships, and t-shirts. The founder of Responder Wellness, Inc., co-leads a peer support group sponsored by Fairfield County Trauma Response Team. Responder Wellness, Inc. is a nonprofit 501c3. Find us on the web at responderwellness.org, on Facebook at Responder Wellness, Inc., or email us, responderwellness at gmail.com. Responder Wellness, Inc., putting responders first. And we're back with Nick Poprosky talking about sleep as it pertains to those of us in emergency services. Um, so we touched on a few things um, like REM sleep and can you talk a little bit about REM sleep and kind of how, why that's important and what's that versus shortwave sleep. And um, can we fix any of this by taking power naps or micro naps? 
Yeah. So, um, it, it, the interesting thing about REM sleep and, um, I'm, I'm diverging into the area, uh, um, where this is a lot of anecdote and personal experience. Um, you know, I'll leave the, the hard sleep science to the, to the sleep science experts, but, um, one of the things that I'm curious about, and I'm glad to see that the, in particular, the the first responder, you know, and, and PTSD awareness um, groups are, are doing, are looking into more, is the relationship between REM sleep and PTSD. Um, what I've, what I wonder, what I'm curious about is, and it's almost immaterial, which, which of these comes first when, when it comes to PTSD, is, does PTSD cause first responders to have a reduction in sleep, which then results in all of the horrible things that can happen when you're sleep deprived? Or does sleep deprivation um, cause you to actually not be able to process trauma as well and contribute to PTSD? And I said, it's almost immaterial which of those is true. You know, it would be nice to know or, or to be able to study causality. But at the end of the day, it's it doesn't matter which of those came first because the answer is to fix sleep um and and i've I, the, my curiosity was spurred by this because the whole idea with um a therapy like emdr um eye movement desensitization and reprocessing um this is that that therapy that they do for ptsd uh where the the idea is to move your eyes back and forth left to right while um while thinking about the the memory that's causing a lot of these distress distressing symptoms, and the idea when this was created was that this would simulate REM sleep, and it, it's a great therapy. It had great results for me, um, both at relieving um, the worst of my PTSD symptoms, but also improving my sleep. So I'm just very curious to see how you know in depth the studies are going to get with examining the relationship between you know um, someone's the amount of, of REM sleep that someone's getting and their incidence or the severity of PTSD symptoms. I think they're highly correlated. Um, and, you know, the, the end part of what I said was that I, I think sleep is the cure for both of those, both of those problems, whether your PTSD was caused by a lack of sleep or the trauma that you experienced then caused you to lose sleep. Either way to fix that, we need to get providers sleeping again. So, um, you know, the other thing that um, I think you were, you were asking about, you know, shortwave versus, um, you know, REM sleep cycles, w- without getting too far into it, what the, the knowledge gap that exists for first responders is we tend to think of sleep as this, you know, this restive state where the body's really not doing anything and just kind of like you're checked out for a period of time. And it's unfortunate that we have that perception because if we really look into sleep science, we would quickly understand that each part of sleep, you know, it's not all just about REM sleep. There's important um, things that happen in the other parts of the sleep cycle. We would realize that it is really this active and dynamic process where the body is, is repairing muscle and there's immune function that's happening and digestive function and, um, you know, important cognitive um, pieces, you know, memory are, um, you know, secured during during sleep. So, you know, when you study something, you need to then get uh, a good night's sleep because that helps cement those memories. And this is all validated by, by big studies. There's a, a tremendous amount of literature out there and EMTs and paramedics are completely unaware of it. So, um, you know, we really need to understand that sleep is this very dynamic process. It's very valuable. And I think if we were able to 
explain this to EMTs and paramedics, there'd be more buy-in when we start talking about why do we need, you know, what can we do to improve our sleep? We can talk about that, but before you even get to let's improve the sleep, you have to understand how important sleep is to your mental and physical health, and then we can talk about improving it. Yeah, and just to that point, um, what are some of the practical ways that we can start to change practices uh, since we're, you know, we're going to first have to change the culture, but also change the practices to be able to do this job and still be able to take care of ourselves by getting, you know, healthful, restorative sleep. What's possible? So um, a, a couple things right off the bat. One is we have to understand that you know, time slept is certainly a measure that we can calculate, especially with, with smartwatches now. You know, I can wear my Apple Watch. It'll give me some type of idea of how long I was asleep for based on, you know, movement patterns and, and that kind of thing. Um, and that's an important number to look at. It can help inform us. Um, but we need to remember that not all sleep is created equal. So it's very possible for two people to be in bed for the same amount of time, be theoretically in asleep for the same amount of time, and to not be um, in as deep of a state of sleep and, and hitting all of the important sleep cycles. So once we we start to understand that, you, you can approach a provider that says something like, well, I generally sleep six or seven hours. Well, you know, that, that might not be the whole picture. If you're still feeling tired, if you're still experiencing, you know, some of the, the side effects or, or you know, um, of sleep deprivation, then maybe you need to look at your sleep quality. And that's where sleep hygiene comes in. Um, so the first tip that I will talk about um, is the use of substances. Um, basically, we have to realize that, th- that three um, key substances significantly impact sleep quality, um, alcohol, caffeine, and marijuana. Um, all of these, and, and I guess we can include in that other sedatives, um, all of these substances have been shown, uh, except caffeine, we'll, we'll put that one aside for a second, but the, the sedative substances I mentioned, all in studies will help you fall asleep faster. So that's why people use them. They say, oh, I have a drink, you know, I had a long day, I have a whiskey or two, and I fall asleep really quickly. And, you know, so we have that perception, oh, we're falling asleep. However, depending on what study you're looking at and what drug and, and you're considering, all of those drugs reduce the total effectiveness or quality of your sleep by upwards of 20%. So already you're... You're, you're handicapping yourself in basically limiting the p- full potential of the sleep that you're getting. So we need to raise awareness about the use of those substances and, you know, break that myth of the, the nightcap myth that that drink that you're having before bed is actually decreasing the quality of your sleep, which is fine if you're going to sleep for 12 hours and okay, so it's 20% less, but I slept, you know, a couple hours more. Fine. I've worked with a couple of guys that have coffee just before they go to sleep. Which... Yeah. And and so there, there's an interesting thing with caffeine. Now, caffeine is, is my drug of choice, right? If I'm, uh, I'll cop to something here. You know, I have been drinking caffeine since I was 14 years old. And um, 
I think by now we, the, the study, the science is pretty clear that people metabolize caffeine differently. There are people who quote unquote, um, aren't affected as much by caffeine as other people that are affected significantly by it. And they're, they're bouncing off the walls. Um, what is also pretty clear though, is even if you can fall asleep after having a cup of coffee, that caffeine still results in a reduction in sleep quality. So, whereas if I drink coffee after, you know, noon or 1 PM, it will impact my ability to fall asleep. I love coffee. I drink it every morning, but personally it will keep me from falling asleep if I drink it too late in the day. Um, and it would, if I did fall asleep, it would also reduce the quality of my sleep. I think the, ha- the half-life of caffeine is something like eight hours. So if you drink it at noon at 8 PM, 50% of the, the um, caffeine is still circulating in your system. So again, w- carefully watching when you ingest caffeine, you know, being considerate about, you know, consumption of alcohol or, or taking sedatives and realizing that that's going to reduce in a reduction in your sleep. This is my first tip. Um, the other thing is, and in, in, um, all of this is evidence-based, there's tons of research that's gone on about, we call it sleep hygiene. Um, I tell people, if you are going to sleep, and this this we we can talk about this with naps in particular. I have a particular philosophy about naps that has worked well for me. But if you're going to get sleep and you're going to prioritize that, you, the goal should be to get good sleep and to maximize your chances of getting high efficiency sleep. So some of the things we recommend is having a set bedtime and you know an awake time. Um, you know this is obviously impacted by working shift work, but when you're not on shift, trying to um, have a similar time that you you lay down can help support. Um, your what's left of your body's natural um, sleep pressure cycle. Um, sleeping in a cooler environment, a dark environment, um, a, as quiet as possible, you know, putting on white noise, for example, in the background. Um, you know, there's a lot of these strategies, you, you know, um, I encourage people to look them up, experiment with them, try them in combination and kind of find out what works best for them. But I, I tell people, you really need to have a very intentional practice set around sleep. Um I, a, a weird uh, connection here. Um, there's a book um, called um, "It's the Magic Life Changing Magic of Tidying Up." It's by oh, yeah, Marie yeah. Kondo. There's yeah, a there was a TV series about. It. Um, but one of the things b- besides just you know tidying up and the reduction of stress and all that, that there's a lot of benefit there. One of the things she talked about in her book was kind of the sacredness of the place that you sleep and kind of having a lot of respect for that space and. Um, you know, removing TVs and distractions from it. And I think that's really important to think about. If we really understand the importance of sleep and how it contributes to our mood, how it contributes to our performance at work, um, our athletic performance, how it contributes to weight gain. You know, we know, you know, uh, a loss of or a lack of sleep causes us to crave carbohydrates. It causes our body to metabolize differently. Um, You know, once we really appreciate how sacred and important sleep is, a part of sleep hygiene is then protecting that space that we go for sleep as, as, you know, being a spot that we can quickly get comfortable in. It's without distraction um, and really just, again, maximize the quality of sleep we're getting. And that's, and that's really to my point about naps. The common way I see EMS providers attempting to take naps is in the recliner, which is horrible for you ergonomically. It drives me nuts. I would get rid of all the recliners tomorrow with the TV on, with the TV on. Yeah. You know, and the type of sleep that you're getting in that chair over four hours of of dozing on and off and someone drops a pot or a pan, it's horrible quality, both, you know, from from a sleep science standpoint, but also ergonomically, that position is terrible to be in. If you're going to take a nap at work, and I strongly encourage all my employees to take safety naps, take a purposeful and intention nap, go in a bedroom, 
shut the lights off, make it as dark as possible. Um, nice, cool environment. Maybe do some meditation, whatever, whatever works for you before it and take an intentional nap where you're going to get a nap of some quality. Um, I think that the science about, you know, um, the effectiveness of naps uh, varies, you know, there's plenty of room for debate in that. I think there is some consensus that in general, a nap, and, and I won't say anything about necessarily about the duration, but a nap in the afternoon um, can improve your um, alertness. It can decrease your risk of being involved in a motor vehicle accident. So I think, you know, there's enough consensus to say there is a benefit to nap I, naps. I think there's a little bit of a debate on how long is too long. If you sleep for too long or too late in the day, that has the ability to impact your, um, your sleep that night. So to that point, I think napping has to be pretty highly individualized, but, mm-hmm. um, there's a frustration here too. Um, I, I share this, I talk about this with, with my wife a lot because I know that I do not have a normal sleep pressure cycle, you know, and it's frustrating because there will be days, especially like two days after a night shift where 10 o'clock in the morning, even after a coffee, I feel tremendous sleep pressure. And it's like, as someone who cognitively is the most effective early in the day, I'm like, this is happening during a very important time of the day for me creatively. Like this is when I can get the, you know, the most efficient work done. And it's frustrating. And it can, you know, you're like, Oh, I'll drink more caffeine or whatever. But in, in regards to that, I've learned to be a little bit compassionate with myself that, you know, I've, you know, this is the, I've chosen to do this. This is the career I picked and, and I have to deal with the impact of this and to not fight against that. So if I feel a tremendous sleep pressure at 10 a.m., I might go try to take a nap and, and see if that relieves it. Usually it passes, um, you know, and uh, just kind of give myself permission that, you know, it's not you're not lazy for taking a nap at 10 a.m. If you've been on night shifts in the last week or two, you're sleep cycle, your natural sleep cycle is impacted and, you know, give your body, um, a little bit of space and, and, you know, respect what it's telling you to do. It's telling you, you need some sleep and maybe laying down for an hour relieves that and you get back up and get your productivity back. But we, we should have a pro nap culture, you know, so there shouldn't be any stigma about that. No, I love, uh, in Japan where they have those little pump pods or modules where people can go and take a nap in a public place. It's like, uh, that's, I would love to be able to do that sometimes. Absolutely. I just want to touch back on what you were saying. Cause, um, you know, this was, um, I think it can be a frustration for those of us who do shift work where you maybe worked your shift, your night shift or your 24, and then you have your, your day off, not at the firehouse or at the, uh, EMS facility or PD, we're at dispatch and wow, I got my day off. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And you come, you know, you start your morning like you described and all of a sudden like really low energy, you know, kind of brains not alert and awake. So it becomes like a compounding frustration to push for me. It was always like, I'm going to push through this. You know, I'm just going to, it's my day. I got, got accomplished all this stuff and I just pushed through it. And then I think I just created more sleep deficit by not taking the nap or not, you know, being sort of uh, honoring the fact that my body was trying to tell me something. Fairfield County Trauma Response Team is a nonprofit alliance of mental health professionals dedicated to helping first responders heal from trauma, tragedy, and stress. We help as they manage community crises and the everyday demands of ensuring public health and safety. 
Established in 2011, FCTRT was formed in response to a call for emotional help from the Stamford Fire Department after a traumatic fatal fire. Less than a year later, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting occurred, and members again served the first responder community. Most recently, COVID-19 created a need for our support. We provide free educational presentations, pro bono sessions to deal with community disasters, and an extensive referral service to trauma-informed psychotherapists. If you're a responder in Fairfield County and need help dealing with duty-related stress, please reach out to us so you can continue to do the job you love. Visit our website at fctrt.org or find us on Instagram at Fairfield County TRT. This was always a debate for me. Going to sleep on a 24-hour shift, you know, picking my bedtime, I was always curious whether it was better for me to go to bed, say, on the early side, say, like 9 o'clock, and then get woken up for a call in an hour or two, rather than wait till like 11 o'clock and get that call out of the way and then maybe have a few more hours of continuous sleep. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that kind of, uh, you know, one of the, one of the frustrations that comes into play when, when it comes to bedtime for first responders, whether you're on duty or off duty, um, I was always really careful. Um, and, and again, this is every sleep science book that I've ever picked up or podcast or that I've listened to w- will tell you that if you are sitting in bed longer than 20 or 30 minutes and you're not feeling sleep pressure, get up, do something. Um, you know, change your location for a little bit and then maybe give yourself a little bit of time to read and then try again. So I think that plays into a little bit of the firehouse. If you're like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be proactive and do the right thing. I'm going to try to go to bed at eight and you lay in bed and you are wide awake. Don't sit there. You know, that, that was, I would get up, walk around, get a glass of water, um, you know, and, and go read for a little bit. Um, but you know, I, I don't, I don't know a good answer to that. I, I think, um, you know, from a practical standpoint, you know, whether, um, you, you know, always want to err on the side of, well, I'm going to, you know, maximize my sleep and, and you really can't argue with going to bed earlier. Um, that was always my theory. I I was always try to be in bed earlier rather than later. Even if I did get woken up, um, you know, maybe the call was at 11 PM and I slept from, you know, eight to 11. And then I'm back from that call one AM and I fall asleep from two to six, you know, it's better to get a total amount of sleep. Um, you know, anything above and beyond 20, uh, 20 minutes of sleep before the call, um, is going to be a benefit to us. It's enough time to start, you know, after 20 minutes, you can start to hit some of the, the deeper phases of sleep. So, um, I think there's an advantage to going to bed early. Um, I also think, you know, in regards to time at the firehouse, I know, there's part there's cultural aspects that make it difficult to to have a nighttime routine there and i would love to see that that change you know the, the tv for example um you know it's a good distraction if you're if you're someone who you know deals with a lot of you know um ptsd or even just you know ruminating about calls and to put on golf or something it's something mindless it can distract you but one of the problems with tv is blue light exposure we know very well now that you know a lot of blue light exposure could be the tv or your phone um you know will impair your ability to fall asleep and also cause that early reduction in in sleep quality so you know the 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 tv should go off the screen should go off as early as possible 
Um, you know, and we really should be encouraging people to fall asleep earlier. I also know in some stations, you know, back to the, the fire service being, you know, unimpeded by progress and having all this tradition, there's a, there's a tradition I know of in some firehouses that the junior guy cannot go to sleep first. You have to kind of wait up until the senior guy does. Well, if the senior guy's down there watching TV till 10 o'clock, you know, they don't want to hear that the, the junior guy's going to bed at 5 p.m. You know, and it's like, oh, well, you know, you eat dinner and, and clean up after dinner and then you go to bed. That's, well, you're the new guy. You're supposed to be up. And that's, it's just the wrong attitude to have. And I understand we, we want, you know, everyone to do their part and, and earn their stripes and, and that kind of thing. But it, that shouldn't be at the sacrifice of sleep. You know, sleep should be a, of the highest priority. And if the probie needs to sleep, you, you better let him go sleep. And we see this in, in medicine too, right? This is the known problem about medical residents. And that's this, this ridiculous rite of passage rite of passage that we're going to make medical residents work crazy hours. And, and we know all the you know disastrous effects that has. It's ridiculous. We, we really need to be as a society and, you know, to whatever extent possible in our industry, enforcing or, or su- supporting or fostering a culture that supports sleep as well. It's not just an individual thing. We need to support that as a system. Yeah. Well, all great points. And um, just briefly, since you, you brought it up and I did want to talk about this, um, you know, as providers, particularly d- delivering medical care, um, you know, what about the errors or the you know, potential to you know, mess up a call because we're sleep deprived? Like what, what thoughts do you have about that? So um, we don't have data on this yet. At least that's not we don't have data that's EMS specific. Um, I know currently there's a big study going on out of um, Pennsylvania. Um, I think it's UPenn is actually running it. They're doing a, a study just on first responders. So my hope would be soon we'll have some some better data on this that's specific to our field. If we look to comparative fields, um, fields that have kind of um, high risk decision making um, or, or you know high risk um, activities that occur after hours, we can look at the uh, train industry, you know, transportation, trucking. Um, train industry and an airline industry um you know a small error flying an airplane can result in catastrophic loss a small error in medication dosing um can can kill someone so um if we look at those comparable fields um they're way ahead of us um as far as looking at research and and setting up industry rules as far as sleep now obviously there's plenty of nuance there you know that pilots don't aren't allowed to sleep on duty. Paramedics are in some areas if they're not too busy. Um, but, you know, I think if we look at, you know, other industries for, you know, and their stats, you know, um, uh, for example, the over the road trucking industry, you know, I have rules about how many hours in a row you can drive. Well, you know, in a service that does a lot of calls, well, what are you doing? You're driving over the road on a 24 hour shift. You might have, Man, I, I've worked at different services over the years and, and been staffing shortages or just understaffed services where we have road time of 12 or 16 hours in a 24-hour shift. So, you know, what's different? There, there really isn't anything uh, that's that's different if you just look at the driving aspect of EMS. You know, you're transporting, transporting people. Um, but so all of those industries know how detrimental um, sleep deprivation is and have published studies and and have you know put in rules to address that but you know so there isn't great studies that are ems specific but i think there's plenty of ways we can estimate you know just how terrible it is by looking at these comparable industries um you know and whenever i'm involved in an after action review um you know we review 100 percent of our 
injuries, accidents. And a question that is standard for us to ask is what has your work schedule been and how much have you been sleeping? And we, we factor that into every incident that occurs at our company. And it's just a, it's a best practice across the risk management field. It's something you should be looking at as a contrib- contributing factor, you know, whenever you have an incident. So I, I strongly suspect that you know, sleep deprivation does contribute to vehicle accidents and EMS and medical errors. I'm sure the data will support that when it finally comes out. Um, as far as mitigation strategies, um, a couple things that, that come to mind here. One is um, speak up for safety. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with calling out for a sleep day or a mental health day. We need to change that. Mm-hmm. People think, oh, there's been cultures in EMS where it's like, we don't call out sick. Like that was literally the first job I worked at. It was, no, 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 you have sick time. We don't use it because that would mean that someone would get held over and that person would hate you, you know? And it's like the whole point of having sick time is if you have a wellness or health need that you need to account for. And I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a mental health day, um, you know, and using it to do self-care. You're going to take a purposeful nap when all your kids are at school, when you know the house is silent. And you got a good chance of getting some high quality sleep. You're going to go for a walk. You're going to go for a run. You're going to take a yoga class. You can meditate. Like, you know, again, to my point about be purposeful about it and make use of it. If you're going to take a mental health day, probably it's not the day to be out, you know, uh, posting pictures of you out on Facebook, uh, drinking at a bar or something, but, but make use of it. And the same thing with sleep. If you get to the point where you, you are, you're, you know, noticing that you are exhausted, that's the time to call out sick and go home and sleep or tell your supervisor um, and and just speak up. And the other thing we can do is establish protocols and procedures for medication error avoidance. Um, There's a couple of great apps out there now. I know we're looking into purchasing the hand heavy app, uh, which gives you kind of like a a checklist. Um, This is what the airline industry uses. Everything they do is with checklists. Um, It's well researched that, you know, humans are fallible and they're particularly fallible when they don't sleep. Um, And a good way to address that is to use checklists. Um, So I I support the use of checklists in EMS and fire. Um, I know a lot of like fire officers like to use checklists for command prompts. You know, you're at a, a, you know, a 2 a.m. structure fire and you're half awake when you get there to, you know, just to remind you to do all the things that you need to do. There's nothing wrong with that. And we should, again, back to the culture, you're not a bad fire officer. You're not a bad paramedic. If you need to look something up or rely on a written aid, it means you're realistic Mm -hmm. and you understand that we're working in horrible conditions and on top of the unpredictable conditions, right? Our environment is very dynamic. And then on top of that, most people are chronically sleep deprived. So, um, you know, definitely things that we can do to avoid those errors. Um, but, um, I think those are the main things. Great stuff, Nick. Uh, so appreciate you sharing all of that with us. And, um, we'll probably have to have another conversation on this show, um, sometime down the road, cause there's a lot more good stuff to talk about. Um, Nick, how can people find you out there? Um, so I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so you can search for me, uh, Nicholas Paprosky. Um, my company has a great YouTube page too. Um, we're, we're putting a lot of, um, resources up on there. Uh, so that's the Vintech Management Services YouTube page. Um, good, two good, great places to find us. Well, thanks for all you do and for, um, doing all this great research, which you're always so generous to share with everybody. We invite you to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Responder Resilience. We're also on Facebook, Responder Wellness Inc. PBSradio.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our website is RespondertV.com. So until next show, um, like and subscribe, and thanks for watching. We'll see you again very soon.